In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Alright everyone, welcome to a very special Weekend Ideal Bugle remake. (laughs) Yeah, we'll go with that. Today, either joining me or I am joining is Scott Corelli. Hi, Scott. Yeah, I guess it depends on uh, how you're coming to this, huh? Yeah, so it could go either way. It's true. Today we're going to be talking about Spider-Man. Go figure. Mm. And the basic idea behind this podcast is... Recently in Ideal Remake, I did a deep dive with my friend Chris Lord into the world of Superman and kind of talking about what the ideal Superman franchise would be. Now, Spider-Man is a little bit different because we kind of like what's happening with Homecoming. Homecoming is a cool franchise and assuming that Peter Parker isn't permanently dust, uh, (laughs) we're going to enjoy what happens with that franchise. But going into the future, we are kind of going to want to see... Peter's college years, some of the villains that we've seen before coming back, and Scott wanted to kind of get into what his ideal version of those kind of characters' representation would be. Did I get that right, Scott? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to get... I I really like what they're doing, where they're using um, sort of second-tier villains, uh, characters from... Spidey's uh, rogues gallery and his uh, his uh, supporting cast, um, you know, using characters that haven't been adapted before uh, or have been adapted loosely before or being adapted loosely now uh, to sort of like, I don't know, put their stamp on a new era of this character and really separate it out from everything else. But if it keeps going, they're going to have to loop back around and start readapting the the heavy hitters uh and i i think that the college years would be the perfect time to sort of do that if this homecoming trilogy is a high school trilogy then i assume they're going to do a trilogy after that that'll be set in college uh and i think that that would be the perfect time to introduce or reintroduce characters like norman and harry osborne you know gwen stacy j jonah jameson Otto Octavius, uh, those those sort of those characters that you know you hear people be like, oh, let's not adapt those again. Um, especially <laughs> Norman Osborn, you hear that all the time with Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin, and I, you know, it's just because I think people um, weren't completely thrilled with the way the Green Goblin looked in the original movie, uh, and I think that people pretty much hated everything about. The one in Amazing Spider-Man Two, um, <laughs> uh, you know, aside from the uh, the few defend hardcore defenders of that movie, I think a lot of people feel like, okay, you screwed it up twice, so maybe let's just not do it a third time. But the Green Goblin for me is like one of my favorite villains of all time, and so I really, really want to see a perfect interpretation of that character because if you did it right and you went full Halloween man. With with the goblin throwing actual pumpkins and wearing like an actual goblin costume, uh, I think it could be really, really fun. But you have to do it just right. And I have a way of doing it, I think, um, that we'll get into later. But yeah, just like getting back into all of those heavy hitters. I just I want to see those characters and I want to see Tom Holland going up against those characters 
and so I thought we could talk about how they could do that and uh, yeah, what we could do with that era of these uh, films. With that in mind, let's kind of talk about tone because Homecoming is a lot lighter of a fare. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to college, I feel like the impetus would be to go a little bit darker. And from my perspective, I feel like that's something they should avoid. But what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can go more mature without making it darker. Does that make sense? Like, I, I think that makes sense. And I think that's the line that they have to walk. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you need to make the storytelling a little more mature. And I think you need to make the uh, narratives more mature. But that doesn't mean that you have to like go to a really dark place, right? Spider-Man needs to be he needs to have the weight of the world on his shoulder and the older he gets the heavier the world feels and that's true for everybody right so absolutely yeah so you know I, I I think that that I think I think that's the line they definitely need to walk for sure then I think the first thing we need to talk about is the first thing that people would see and know of for these movies I'm thinking Spider-Man Party Dorm and I assume you immediately agree. <laughs> Spider-Man party dorm. Oh man. I mean, I do I do love the idea of of uh Peter going to dorm parties and stuff and awkward awkwardness at dorm parties and feeling uncomfortable at places like that. I do like that a lot. So I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have uh titles for these new movies in mind? No, no, I don't actually. Um, I was, I was thinking, I mean, if you want to really segregate the, uh, the, the trilogies, I think the best way to do that would be to go, you have the subtitles. Well, well, I I was thinking you have the, you have the subtitles for the high school years. And so when you get here, you go to the adjectives. And so you go like the spectacular Spider-Man. It's like the first one. Um, Oh. Yeah. You go the opposite. Really, really honed down that like okay these are going to be a different kind of movie interesting even if it's the same character and and same actor which i assume we're both on the on board right we're gonna we're oh, keeping yeah, tom holland okay yeah right, good basically yeah. i have a couple characters that are written down that are characters that are in universe but i left them as the casting that they were just because i was like they, they exist in this universe that's who we have yeah totally so totally. like mary jane and kingpin we have those right well we have mj She's not technically Mary Jane. Fair enough. Yeah, she's Michelle. <laughs> Which <laughs> I didn't cast anyone as Mary Jane either. I I really, really want to see a Mary Jane that's like the Mary Jane in those early comics. The sort of um, less the girl next door. I mean, she's literally the girl next door. But she has less that personality and she's like more of a kind of an irresponsible party girl. Um, and... I wouldn't mind seeing that version of Mary Jane just because I think that there is something about that character that Peter would be attracted to. Like, here's this kid who is so – who has to be so responsible all the time and here's this girl who's like really carefree and everything. And Mm -hmm. I just imagine that being very uh, attractive as far as, uh, you know, a life that he would like to have. But then, I absolutely can see why he would be interested in her, but I don't see why she would be interested in him. No, I don't either. I've never understood that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nerd fantasies. Yep. And how. Thanks, Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> then with that in mind, 
I want to talk kind of about the zen of casting, because this has kind of always been one of my quirks with comic book fandom, mm-hmm. in that, all right, we've got a female Thor, but that's not really Thor. Real Thor's over there in the background. Right. Um, where you cast someone else who has the title of the character, but their name is different. So mm-hmm. that way you can kind of like backhanded say, all right, well, Miles Morales is Spider-Man and he's black, but really Peter Parker, the guy you know, is over there. Right. And I've always thought it would be more like what they did with Jimmy Olsen in Supergirl, where that other than the fact that they changed the name to James Olsen, which I think is dumb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just this tall black guy. He's yeah. the attractive CW version of Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, cool. sure. Absolutely. And I think that it's like less the person portraying and more the name. And so when we get to casting, I kind of had that in mind for some of them, not all of them. But Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's I think I did that as well. Um, I do want to get can I get two castings out of the way just to mention them because they are I see them pop up a lot in fan castings. Um, and so I just want to say them so that. People know that we're aware of them and we can <laughs> swiftly move on. Um, one is Jason Isaacs as Norman Osborn. I hear that all the time. He would be great, but it's so uninspired because it's just, it just is what it is. Like, it's like, yeah, I mean, I know you say Jason Isaacs as Norman Osborn. I was like, yeah, I, I just watched that movie in my head just now. I just saw it. I know exactly what that is. There's no surprise there. And quite frankly, I don't know if I like Jason Isaacs as Green Goblin. Like, it's one thing to be Norman Osborn. But if you're going to be Green Goblin as well, I don't know if Jason Isaacs is the right guy for that. But I think he's two together. I don't know if he'd be able to cut loose enough to be the the Green Goblin. Exactly. Exactly. Great. He'd be a great, solid double on casting of Norman Osborn. But Green Goblin, I don't know. Um, The other one I see a lot is... uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet as Harry Osborn. Um, I see that a lot, and I feel like this new, uh, this new hyper attractive Harry Osborn take um, is not my favorite thing uh, because no. to me that's not Harry Osborn. That's they were too afraid to cast a nerd in the first Spider-Man movie, and ever since then, every Harry Osborn after that has been sort of. James Franco-ized. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see and, that. Yeah, and that's just not – that's not Harry Osborn. Harry Osborn, to me, Harry Osborn would be Peter Parker. He would be a nerd except that he's rich. And because he's rich, he's popular because ah. he can buy his friends into parties and buy his friends – like they can go to a diner and he can pick up the bill. You know, That's why he's friends with people like Flash Thompson and all of them because he can pay for everything. So he's a rich, he's a rich McLovin. Uh, kinda. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's, that's the version of Harry Osborn that I have in my mind. Um, when I think of him, uh, I can agree with that. That's not yeah. the sort of person that I cast, but I agree with why you're, you're pulling from that. So that, that makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah. So, so those are the two I just wanted to mention. Yeah. Okay. So we have the world that we're going to be inhabiting. We have like, in the, no, we don't. We're going to get to the characters, but we need to create the world we're going to be inhabiting. Yes. Um, So 
do you so you see this as another trilogy? I mean, if it's the college years, I kind of see this as four movies instead of three. Uh, I mean, you could do four. I, I, um, you know, I just think about, I just think of just go full Harry Potter. Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I just can't help but think in trilogies because that's how, like, I don't know, the language of cinema works for whatever reason is in threes. But that's not yeah. the world according to Shrek. <laughs> Shrek lives in a swamp. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I don't disagree. I mean, yeah, sure. Let we can do four. Why not? That well, let's take a step back. Other than Shrek, can you think of any four like run of four movie trilogies where it, we're happy that they hit four? No. Yeah, and so. I'm not happy they hit four in Shrek. I think they should have been done with two. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, don't it's know. like something like Mission Impossible or Fast and the Furious where they just keep going and going and going. Right. And that's a different – that's a totally different thing. I mean, they do four movies for Divergent, but that's four that should have been three. Right. Same with um, Hunger Games. Yeah. Uh, there's probably other examples. <laughs> probably. But I think those are the big two. It's, yeah. And, and that's the big counterargument. Well, Hunger Games had four. Divergent had four. But really, those each should have had three. Yeah. Absolutely. So with that in mind, we're kind of like, I, I mean, in, in my head, that's the way I see it as kind of carrying over like each year. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, no, I mean, you could do that. I, the only thing, the reason that a trilogy works in movie terms is because you can only come out with a movie at most one every 18 months, mm-hmm. which means you're through the college years by the third movie because it would take about you know, four and a half years to get through all of that. True. Uh, but I mean, you know, movie time is different than real time. So, you know, you and can I, do whatever and, you want. And they kind of avoided the problem with homecoming by making him a sophomore instead of a freshman. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm perfectly happy making him a sophomore in college too. But part of the fun of college is you get there and it's a whole different world that you're not prepared for. And everyone wants to see Peter Parker go through that. A hundred percent. I completely agree. You definitely want to see him as a college freshman, without a doubt. Just awkwardly trying to make his way back through the dorm party, and he's like, I don't understand what's <laughs> happening. Yep. Absolutely. And I, I'm here for all of that. Absolutely. So, all right. So then I'm perfectly happy doing a trilogy, and we'll kind of figure out what's happening year-wise or standard college movie in the sense where he's never in class. Mm-hmm. But with Peter, he has to be in class because he's a nerd and some of his teachers are going to be his villains, right? True. Yeah, very true. So what's he majoring in? You know, I I almost wonder if um, he I, – I feel like that might be one of his struggles. Like in the that first movie, um, he might be undeclared. Spider- Spider-Man undeclared? Yeah, could be. Spider-Man um, undecided? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because because the thing is, like, if you're going to be Spider-Man, I mean, you know, he sort of hints at it in Homecoming, right? In Homecoming, he almost quits school. Uh, right. Because he's just like, I'm going to be an Avenger now. Whatever. Uh, so this is it. This is the thing. Yeah, this is the thing. But, like, if you go to college and you're Spider-Man... Like, how do you even choose a major? Because what's the plan exactly? Like, you're going to graduate from college and then what? You're going to get a job? Like, you're Spider-Man. 
what like how are you how are you going to to balance that like what 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 would be your plan exactly i mean i think that's why when you um like luckily college college careers bachelor degrees sort of transitioned in the, over the course of spider-man history from being uh specific to your job to basically being a glorified uh high school diploma um you know True. and and so now peter just does whatever uh he you know he goes from he's the editor of the science section of the daily bugle right now uh, in the comics, and before that, he was the head of his. He was the CEO of his own company, um, and then before that, he was working at another science company, like an invention kind of thing. And before that, I think he was a teacher, uh, a science teacher in a high school. So he's been all over the place, uh, career wise. So who knows? Uh, and that might be part of that struggle is figuring out like it's it's one thing to know like okay i know spider-man i know who that guy is but who's peter Mm -hmm. parker and i think that's interesting because basically we we can have a movie where he's being spider-man all the time but i want to see him like i i would love to see a movie where he is being spider-man all the time and then he he can't afford to eat a sandwich like he 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 has no money he has nothing right and but he's also Spider-Man, so he's not like he's going to go up to Tony Stark and say, so, Tony, uh, can, can I have some money? <laughs> right. I mean, there might be multiple reasons why he doesn't go up to Tony Stark uh, at this point in his life. Um, one of those reasons might be that Tony Stark isn't alive anymore. <laughs> there, there are all those possibilities. <laughs> Fine. He goes up to Pepper Potts. There he goes. Whatever. She's, she's probably safe. She's probably fine and really friendly and really supportive of uh, one of the reasons why Tony's probably dead. Yeah, maybe. I think that struggle of balance is going to be important because he doesn't – he's not going to have Aunt May as an anchor point anymore, you know, because he's going to be living on his own. I mean, I guess the thing is – yeah, 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 yeah. He's living with Aunt May in that movie. That's right. I get confused mm-hmm. because in the car- in the current cartoon, he has like a dormitory that he lives in. Um, even though he's in high school, um, I haven't but. kept up on any of the the newer cartoons, so I've really I'm really only familiar with the '90s cartoon and then the movies. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's ni- most people. <laughs> in the in the '90s cartoon, he's basically just an adult. Right, right, exactly. Uh, all right, so then with that in mind, do you want to have? Well, one of the things we did when we were talking about Superman is we kind of gave Lex Luthor as this overarching villain over mm-hmm. the course of. We came up with five movies, the five movies that we came up with. But for Spider-Man, he he kind of has Norman Osborn and Kingpin as that sort of Lex Luthor villain, but that's not really the world he inhabits. Mm-hmm. So do you see him having a serialized villain over all of the movies, or do you see it being moving from one disaster to another? No, I think that the way that I, I link all this up is that I think it is Norman Osborn, and I think that you save the green... He doesn't turn into the Green Goblin until the third movie. Okay. Um, that, that's how I see it. Uh, and I think that Norman Osborn... I, I don't think... I don't even think that... Spider-Man interacts with Norman Osborn until the third movie. Um, I how, think how, that, how very fifth element of you. Yeah, I think, well, I think only Peter Parker does like Peter Parker oh, does oh, because, oh, oh. because he's friends with Harry. 
Um, and he knows Norman that way. Uh, but Got I don't it. think, and maybe, maybe he gets a, you know, maybe he gets a internship at, uh, Oscorp. Um, I don't know, but I think he definitely, he's friends with Harry. He meets Harry as a college freshman, befriends him and then meets Norman through him. And what he finds, what, what you find out as a viewer of the movie is that Norman is, uh, Norman and Oscorp is responsible for the villains in this trilogy. One way they or manufacture the villains. Yeah, in so a way. Speak. Right. Or yeah. the technology behind the villains, right? Like Otto Octavius works for Oscorp. Um, and uh one of my one of my characters, which I, I actually have a um a minor villain in here. So one of not one of the heavy hitters, but it's because uh the technology behind the villain is important for later. Uh and so one of the early villains I would want is um the chameleon. Uh, not as a main villain necessarily, but as sort of, um, uh, Norman Osborn's sort of, uh, corporate espionage kind of assistant person. That's a great Uh, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, the idea would be like the chameleon has a mask that can turn into anything. And so when we get the green goblin later on, he uses that technology to create the goblin mask. So we can get the full goblin mask, like the actual goblin, like the comics. And you just use motion capture because he's using the same technology as the chameleon. Oh, I see what you're doing. That's very clever. Yeah. So that's, that's having the chameleon there is uh, set up for that. Um, in, in my I think mind. that works. Yeah. 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 I think- I could totally see Oscorp as being a major funder for the university. And even if Otto Octavius is working for the the company, I think he could also be someone who works at the university. He's a professor, and so his mm-hmm. research is being funded by Oscorp, and, but he's also being forced to interact with Peter because Peter's taking a class. Sure. Because that's you really can... what Spider-Man is, right? Just fear of different kinds of technologies. Yeah, in a way, sure. Um, and I, and I think, I mean, you can even have a, um, you know, the science building is like the Norman Osborn science building, uh, or, or something like that. And you can have like that great moment where he meets Harry and like people are, are, you know, whatever, making fun of him or. Because um, his name's on the building. Yeah. And it's because it's like, oh, who are you? And he just points to the building and it's like (laughs) Harry, it's like the Harry Osborn science building is like my dad named it after me. I didn't ask him to. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I love it. <laughs> um, one of the things that I did when coming up with a lot of the villains was I put in the fear of, like, whatever societal fear births that villain. Because I think for someone specifically like Otto Octavius and Norman Osborn, it, it's relevant, and I think we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But I just completely lost my train of thought. That's, a, that's deeply troubling. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for... That, but but now for Harry Osborn, if we're not going to be getting to Norman Osborn becoming the Green Goblin, does Harry Osborn ever become the Green Goblin, or do you what? see that at one Ooh. point there's two Green Goblins? See, you are you are uh, spoiling my third movie. Um, ah, so then let's then, then let's take that second. Let's just talk about your first movie. Okay, so so I think I see the first movie. I I think could be a great number of things, but I think that it makes the most sense to be the lizard. Um, with the chameleon, just because like the chameleon doing like corporate espionage stuff um, behind the scenes with Oscorp. But 
Uh, and maybe even like pretending to be Spider-Man at some point or for one reason or another, I'm not sure. But, um, I, there's something I, that I like about taking the lizard and making it more of like, almost like a werewolf story where mm-hmm. it's, it's just a, it's just like a gothic horror thing. And you have this college campus and you have like this monster, like attacking co-eds at night you know, around this university and everyone is trying to figure out what's going on, including Peter. And, you know, you, you, uh, over the course of the movie, you find out that it's, um, it's, uh, it's, his uh, academic Kirk, advisor, right? Kirk Connors. Um, but, but it's, I, I like the idea of like, as he's trying to figure out, you know, what it's, what this campus is like, we're sort of exploring the campus through these, uh, these lizard attacks. And uh, so I don't then know. here's my question about Kirk Connors. Mm-hmm. Is it a is it like it was an Amazing Spider-Man where he's conscious as the lizard, or is it total uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, or I, is it a werewolf where the werewolf isn't really conscious, just a monster attacking things? Yeah, the third thing. That's how I picture the third it. thing. Yeah, yeah. I've never liked. Um, <laughs> I never liked you, uh, conscious conscious lizard. I'm I'm picturing much more of like a Hulk kind of situation. In fact, I I actually I I wonder if that isn't what turns it over. Like maybe he's like, "Oh, he's experimenting with lizard DNA to grow his arm back and he uses like the the super soldier serum that gave the Hulk his powers." Um mm-hmm. uh you know, and he to just sort of like soup up the lizard DNA. Right, right, right. To mix it up and then that's what causes him to turn into the lizard, something like that. Well, isn't the Hulk not a, as a result of serum? It's as a result of uh, gamma radiation. Is it that in the? But he he did something to I don't know. The origin of the Hulk is so messed up in in, in the MCU because it was like um he's he he saves someone from a bomb in the comics and, and but in the in the movie you have that like you never see his origin. You kind of see like the the opening credit montage thing of like ed norton in the in the weird um chair thing uh like he's getting an eye exam um (laughs) (laughs) full disclosure i've never seen either of the hulk movies oh okay yeah i it's supposed to be gamma radiation but it's like kind of not but it kind of i don't know um, well, but I, but that, I do know, in in, well, in, but in, uh, in Incredible Hulk, the, the villain in it, um, Abomination is right. based on like BS super soldier serum, like super soldier serum. They tried to recreate, but it went bad and, and then it turned him into that monster. I think super soldier serum is a good thing to have, especially because if you do super soldier serum, because we have Captain America already, you could introduce that for the lizard. You could introduce that for Black Cat. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's their origin. But what yeah. I was going to say is that, I mean, Spider-Man's origin it fluctuates based on whatever the fear of the day is. First, it's a radioactive spider when we're afraid of uh, nuclear stuff. And then it's fear of genetic ma- uh, manipulation when, we're, when that's what we're afraid of. So, like, for Dr. Kirk Connors, I put that the fear for the lizard is fear of genetic ma- manipulation, fear of GMOs. Mm-hmm. Which that's a whole other argument, but that that is something that people are legitimately afraid of. Sure, and so I feel like doing something to mess with his own DNA and manipulating it with the lizard, get giving it that soup up is good. But I think that you want to have that full on going in there, messing with things, 
and getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That said, if he's just full wolf man, lizard man, why does he just like so does he just start waking up in random places wondering what happens, sometimes covered in blood? I think with so. A, with a hole where the sleeve had been sewed shut? Yeah, I think so. I and think so. He's just like not that. telling anybody? Yeah, I mean I think he's I think he's scared about what's going on, you know? Um, like you would be if you were a werewolf, right? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. And especially considering like I picture Kurt Connors as um, sort of the opposite of what he is in Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> I, I picture him as more of like a, a like just this really empathetic kind of character. And so when this stuff starts happening and he finds out that, you know, college kids are being killed by this thing and he thinks that he is the thing and he is the thing it's you know it 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 the guilt is just is just crazy you know like it 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 weighs him down like crazy um and i think that that's uh, i think that that's something that um peter would really respond to because he knows a thing or two about guilt i can see that yeah I'm worried if you might have a first Harry Potter quarrel situation where if he's worried, if he thinks that he's going around killing everybody, why doesn't he just like, if he thinks he is the monster that is literally murdering people and cannot be stopped, why doesn't he just put a gun to his head? And in Harry Potter, it's because Quirrell's just a coward. And he just does whatever the monster says. Mm-hmm. But if so, we're, if we're talking about uh, using uh, Hulk DNA or, or super soldier, stuff i mean there's that line in avengers right like i tried to I, shoot myself and the, the i, I tried spat it out yeah yeah i tried to yeah, i tried to blow my head off and the other guy spat out the bullet um but that's what i'm trying to avoid i think that we have to give kurt connors a reason why he needs to stay alive something that he's working on something that's important i think that he has to compromise himself in the sense where like he he feels terrible feels terrible but he's working on something that would cure a disease and only he can fix it. And if he dies, all these other people are going to die. Mm-hmm. So he's willing to let one, maybe two people on campus get killed if it allows him to save hundreds, if not thousands of people. Hmm. I think we have to give him a reason to live, basically. Yeah. I don't know if it needs to be the one I just said, but I think he needs something. Right. Um. Because one I'm- of the things... If this is a tangent, but one of the things uh, listening to uh, Sp- your Spider-Man 2 uh, movie this year is I've kind of been thinking a lot about Otto Octavius and what his deal is. Mm-hmm. Because I've kind of come to the conclusion that I think Otto Octavius is allowing the arms to take over more control of him than he otherwise would. Because I think he's burying himself in denial because he just lost his wife and his life's work in a Mm -hmm. day and then woke up surrounded by bodies and Mm -hmm. i think he's just burying himself in this new work and allowing these minds to take over so he doesn't have to think about the love of his life being dead and how he can't do anything to save her or stop himself Mm -hmm. and so he just needs this thing as a distraction Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how I see this version of Dr. Kirk Connors. Yes, this horrible thing happens, but this other thing is important. I need to bury myself in this other thing. Yeah, I mean I I, I mean one of the things that um 
Kurt Connors uh, struggles with in the comics is, and they and they hint at it in the movie, but they don't they don't make it a part of his arc or his narrative uh is that he is struggling with um his family he has a he has a wife and a son and um his wife has left him uh because of like his work and everything mm-hmm. uh and i i almost wonder if um you know if she has left him and he's doing it for that reason like to sort of if there's something Something about the work that he's doing that could, uh, in his mind, uh, bring his family back together. It would be sort of uh, like an opposite of the Otto Octavius thing. I think that's good, and I I like that. That's certainly something he would care about, and by extension, we would care about. Like, yeah, no, he has to because his family. Like, if he was gone, it would ruin his son or daughter's life, and we can't have that. Right. And I I think that's good. Right. So that's our kind of main storyline that we're seeing while the chameleon is stealing corporate secrets and documents in the background. Mm-hmm. How do those two things come together? Um I almost I don't know. I mean I I I I almost wonder if um uh you know and maybe maybe the maybe the chameleon works better in movie 2 with Otto Octavius cuz there's actually technology and things uh you know uh, attached to that storyline more more so stuff that you could actually you know steal <laughs> um then maybe, again then, then again my- the the technology that Kirk Connors maybe what what Kirk Connors ends up creating in the end um as he makes uh, a cure. Oh, here we go. Okay, so he's working on this thing. He's working on a new version of of the super soldier serum, and it, and this super soldier serum is not only going to make you stronger and better, but it'll also like regrow your limbs if you get something chopped off, and like it's just absolutely nuts. This this stuff. Um, and uh, Norman Osborn hears about it. I mean, he kind of technically owns it in a way because it's like in his building or he's yeah, like so semi-funding why, so it. So why would he need to steal it? Well, then maybe it's not his building. Well, I mean, it, that's pretty easy. Well, here's my pitch. Okay. My pitch is that you have a character, uh, one of Peter's classmates for the majority of the movie. Mm. And I think that all of this technology and it's revealed, okay, all of this is going to go. It's clear that this technology drove Kirk Connors crazy and we can't have that sort of thing. We won't have any more lizards. And Norman Osborn takes a stand. He says, this technology is important, but we'll find another way to help people. This just created a monster, so we're going to destroy it. And he makes that big, loud announcement. Right. And so he makes that, great, we're going to destroy it tomorrow. And over the course of the night, Peter's friend goes, steals it, brings it to him, and saves all the technology, and then he takes the mask off and it's been the chameleon. And that what, way, the chameleon is introduced as your connecting tissue between the first movie and the second movie. That way, Norman Osborn has his public face of, we have to use technology for good. And oh, he's his I private see. face of hiring this person who kind of is on campus connected to what's going on to get the technology anyway. Publicly, no, bad technology is bad. Privately, I want all of this information because I can use it to my own advantage. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, cause my, my, what I was going to say to continue what I was saying, I, I was going to say that the, the chameleon, um, he wants this, this, uh, I don't know, whatever this serum or whatever, because it, it is going to lead him to the goblin serum. Uh, because the chameleon wants to be the goblin. I see the chameleon as being like a, a higher no, hitman, like no yeah, no that's on we're own. we're on the same page. I'm oh, talking about Norman. Okay. I'm talking about it, I'm talking it. about Norman. Chameleon steals it, but the chameleon is Norman. Like it's the same. He's got he's it. working for Norman. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Norman wants the 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 lizard stuff because um, you know at, over the course of the movie he finally works up like the best version, and then you get this like this third act where he's you know fighting over. Uh, wanting the uh, the serum, you know, like he wants it mm-hmm. to cure himself, but Norman wants it to quote unquote destroy it, you know, um, and then you get sort of a third act out of that uh, process. I agree. Yeah, here's another pitch for a one, two, and three. I think that Kirk Connors should be continually tinkering with the with the serum, mm-hmm. and Act One, he's kind of a nine foot tall lizard man and and spider-man's able to take him out in act two he's like a 15 or a 20 foot tall lizard man and spider-man kind of does it and then in act three kirk connors thinks he's fixed it and perfected it and he gives himself a serum and he thinks it works and he gets an arm but that makes him say a six foot tall lizard man but all of a sudden this lizard isn't just a giant hulking monster it's quick it's fast and it's deadly Mm. and that's what appeals to uh that's what appeals to Norman Osborn. That's what appeals to the chameleon because that's what they were looking for. They don't want just a big old Hulk for lack right. of a better phrase. They want the fast, they want the precision, they want the, right. The super ninja serum. Well, and, and you, can even, you can even, you can even three. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think you could even play with the intelligence level of each of those as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You could start like he, off with the werewolf scenario, then mo- merge into a Hulk, Mr. Hyde scenario, and then end up in a like fully intelligent, fully articulate, but a little crazy lizard man. Absolutely. I think that's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, and it, and it would be great as a, uh, a setup because again, if you're not doing the goblin until movie three, you've got a whole movie where, he could be tinkering with that serum behind the scenes, uh, ending up with the goblin serum in the third one. Absolutely. Yeah. So we kind of have our arc for the first movie, but what else is going to be happening in the world around it? Is this first movie where we're going to be introducing, we're introducing Norman and Harry, but are we also introducing Gwen Stacy? Are we introducing J. Jonah Jameson? I think, I think, yeah, both of them. I think, I think, um, the way that I'm picturing J. Jonah Jameson, and I think we talked about this when you were on Spider-Man Minute, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, the ways in which you could do J. Jonah Jameson in the world today where newspaper is dead. Um, and I, I have the idea, I had the idea just today, actually, I had this idea of what if J. Jonah Jameson, rather than, um, you know, we're, we're in the dying throes of print media. And what if the Daily Bugle used to be a very respected newspaper up there with like the Washington Post, the Washington Post and, and, um, the New York Times? And, uh, it was dying and it was J. Jonah Jameson, who was not editor at the time. He came up with the idea of just shifting to tabloid journalism and, 
by sh- making that shift, it actually saved the paper. Because I think that's it, a cool idea. Because it it just it sells better. Um, it 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 sells better to have those those kinds of headlines. And maybe you know Jonah as a character, he he is sort of ashamed that he did this, and he's always looking for ways to bring the newspaper back into uh, legitimacy. But he can't because those things don't sell. And so he's constantly between a rock and a hard place of, I need this paper to sell so that all of these people who work here can keep their job. But also, this is embarrassing that we're doing this. It's uh, it's like the brand Lacoste, which I learned about in uh, advertising. <laughs> yeah. Where it was this big brand name and it was like uh it was super expensive and high end but the, it wasn't doing very well and so they went super low end and super cheap super easy to buy the brand name was everywhere but then that little logo that little crocodile dude uh, in the breast po- breast of the polo shirts right. was everywhere and so now all of a sudden you've you've diluted your brand so you've saved it but now that everyone's aware of it you have to re-legitimize it I don't right. know. It's a real thing that happened in the real world. Marketing. Look it up, kids. Yeah. Go to absolutely. stay in school. So that's J. Jonah Jameson, but how does he interact with our world? Does Peter go work at this newspaper? Everyone I think needs so. a job. I, yeah, no, I, I think so. And I think you can I I think you can get by with uh, you know, Peter taking these uh pictures of Spider Man, but I think I think that part of it maybe could be um I don't know, uh, interviews or I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I think that there's, I think there's room for other, other, uh, things, um, mm-hmm. that we could, you could do other than just, uh, taking pictures of Spider-Man, but I definitely want to see Peter working there, uh, and interacting with Jonah. Um, I mean, the character that we have, uh, the Tom Holland version of Peter Parker is already constantly taking pictures of Spider-Man and, t- and talking into his phone. That's true. That's true. But I think what you could do is the same sort of thing that you're doing with the serum and the introduction of Norman Osborn. I think one of our other characters, I think you could have Gwen Stacy working for the newspaper mm. and you could have Peter working for Dr. Kirk Connors. That way he meets Kirk Connors, he meets the family, he gets there because mm-hmm. he's interested. He's interested in genetic manipulation because he kind of wants to know what's happening with Spider-Man and he wants to make sure that he knows what's going on with himself. And I think that would be a reason why he would be drawn to Kirk Connors. But then yeah. when, you know, this whole lizard thing or whatever happens and Peter needs a job but he made friends with Gwen who gets him a job at the paper because she sees this really cool picture of Spider-Man that he took. And she's like, how'd you manage to get this picture? You should come work with us. Or she gives the picture to J. Jonah Jameson. Well, alternatively, if we, if let, let's say, let's say we just don't have him work at the daily bugle. Right. What right. if, what if, uh, Gwen Stacy does work for the Daily Bugle, like you said. She's like an intern there or whatever, um, paid intern or freelance intern, whatever. Um, and her, the way that we keep her sort of active and keep her, uh, keep her agency throughout is that she's a photographer for the Bugle and he wants pictures of the lizard thing on campus. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so like her whole thing in this series is like she's a uh, journalism student and she works for the Bugle and she gets picked. She's willing to go and hunt down and grab pictures of these crazy villains that I I think that's a lot more realistic than what actually happens. I think I think Gwen Stacy would be a fantastic Spider-Man photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can go from full Bigfoot pictures. They, mm-hmm. they they can start at the Bigfoot picture range and end up at the Sam Raimi Spider Man taking pictures of himself range. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I and I think too, um, it, it could maybe take us back to something we talk about a lot on Spider Man Minute, which is uh, the lack of romance in in superhero movies now, mm-hmm. um, and. I love the idea of Spider-Man sort of like meeting up with Gwen Stacy for an exclusive interview a la Superman and Lois Lane in the first Superman movie, you know? And she, and he, and he lets her like, he's like, Oh, I'll pose for pictures for you. And he like poses for pictures for her and gets an interview. And she has like an exclusive interview with Spider-Man. Um, I think that's my night with Spider-Man. Is that yeah. too much of a reference? <laughs> Maybe too much of a reference, but but yeah, <laughs> I I love that idea of uh of you know, it's it's not about him making money. He's not doing it to make himself money. He's making he's doing it to uh help his uh his, you know, love interest. I also think it would be fun if part of the reason he goes and has dinner with the reporter is because he just needs food. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And but I would like it if he takes the mask off part way and he starts eating and like, oh, so you're a white dude. What? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, that's great. No, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Cause I mean that's always an assumption, like, oh yeah, no, it's a superhero, it's a, some white guy. But like in this world, you don't know. So he takes that off. That's a big re- reveal. Hey, it's some white guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also think um I, I I don't think I would want her in the dark about his identity for very long either Um, no i think that's a that's a movie to reveal but i think that's a good one yeah 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 i think so um i i think it's it's more fun when he's not running around and hiding on someone it's it's more fun when they're running interference right and i i I think i think um i think at most it's movie two it might even be end of this movie that she finds out and i especially if they've kind of done that now at this point though what like they at the end of spider-man homecoming you have the whole aunt may thing where she goes what the yeah so oh no i don't of... mean like the literal end i just mean like toward the end of the movie because i was just gonna say that she's like oh so when i was taking pictures of spider-man i was really just taking pictures of you and talking to you the guy i'm dating great like just yeah. <laughs> you know I, I i just think that there's i i would almost want to play it the exact opposite of how it's played in Spider-Man 2 of like the big reveal. I want it so to then be here's sort my of question. a letdown almost. Do you want it to be revealed? Do you want to do you want Peter Parker to say I'm Spider-Man or do you want her the reporter to figure it out? I don't know. Um I think it could go both ways. I I mean I think I think uh I think she could figure it out, but I also I feel like if she figures it out she might be because if she figures it out like why wouldn't she just tell jonah why wouldn't she write that article because she's dating him yeah but 
Because if he reveals that he's Spider-Man to her, why wouldn't she go tell Jonah? Because then he's like actually telling her he's rather than her, her figuring. Yeah, rather than it, rather than her well, figuring it out. I don't know. Did how recently did you watch the Bruce Tim animated Superman Batman universe? Uh, a couple years ago. One of the things that happens in the Superman series is they do a couple crossovers with Batman, and Bruce Wayne and Lois Lane start dating. Yeah, and I Lois Lane. That. The investigative journalist figures out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Right. And so she still works for a newspaper and they no longer date. But she says to him, here I am sitting on the biggest news story that's ever existed. And I can't tell anybody. Right. And that's kind of how I would see this happening as well. Like, it's Gwen Stacy and she knows that, well, probably can't reveal... We can even give a reason, like Kurt Connors, the lizard, figures out that we can have Kurt Connors figure out, or Peter goes to him and tells Kurt Connors that he's Spider-Man, and Kurt Connors takes and captures Peter Parker because his blood might be the missing ingredient to his serum, and that's what he does. And so she's able to see, oh, when people find out that he's Spider-Man, he really is in trouble and people around him can get hurt. So with that in mind, I guess I can't tell because we could have, that's really why the lizard all of a sudden went from Hulk to super dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, 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 the balancing act you'd have to do with that is because I, I think it would be important to undercut it. Um, there's something because that's, that's sort of what homecoming does a lot. Is it like it undercuts like, Moments that seem like they would be big, you know, big moments. Mm-hmm. Um, the MA moment is a perfect example of that, right? Just Absolutely. totally undercuts this big reveal by just having her be like, what the, f-? um, I, I, I think that that, I think that that's important. And maybe you can have that struggle of like, should I say anything? But like, I, I think I like the idea of her figuring it out. Maybe like just as maybe her and and Peter are are going to meet and then maybe she's like looking around in his room like snooping because that's something the journalists I feel like would do, especially journalism students. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's just snooping, just figure out like who is this guy that I'm going on a date with or whatever. And then she like either finds a spare costume or finds some sort of proof that he's Spider-Man and – when he enters the room, she's like, are you Spider-Man? Like just calls him, <laughs> calls him out on it like point blank. And he's like, what? I, uh, what? No, no. Like and she just holds up the glove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then, and then he's just like, I, okay. I mean, I am, but you can't tell anybody or whatever. And then you have that struggle and then you have the thing with the lizard. And then she's like, okay, I really can't. And maybe she even says, I have this great story for you, Jonah. Like, this is going to be the one that's going to get you to hire me. Like, maybe she's a free intern. Yeah. And she's like, this is going to be the story that's going to get you to hire me. And then he, she shows up and she's like, these two cute dogs, you know, like, just <laughs> just like doesn't doesn't sell Peter out because of what she sees happen in the third act. And then and they have to run with it anyway, because it's still a tabloid. Yeah, sure. And then, I like that. I like and, that pitch. I, I want to alternate. Uh, change it a little bit i want Mm -hmm. i think it's super cool if she figures out that he's spider-man and then doesn't tell him 
Because otherwise it's the exact same thing that we have in Homecoming where it's just, well, tell me about this. Tell me about this. Tell me about this. And we've seen that already. I don't, why does it have to be that? She's going to have a different personality than, than. That's true. Uh, you're, right. you're right. You're right. You're right. I take it back. You're yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be like that. I mean, I think she would be so focused on the story of it all that she wouldn't really care about the details as much. Um, mm. cause it would just be like, oh my God, I have the scoop of the century. Like this True. kid from Queens is Spider-Man. But um, if she has the scoop of the century, why would she let Peter know that she, she's going to go public with the scoop of the century? Cause she's, because, well, she's not letting him know that she has, that she's going to go public. She just ah, is calling okay. him out on it. Like she wants confirmation because she is a journalist, you know? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, the, and then after she gives, uh, Jonah the fake story or whatever to, to, you know, uh, not the scoop of the century, she goes to Peter and she's like, all right, so I didn't say anything, but you have to promise me that I'm your exclusive photographer and your exclusive journalist and whatever. Like everything goes through me. Like if you, at, like as Spider-Man, you know, like I'm going to come to, you're going to go rob some people, or, or rob some people, say, uh, uh, stop gonna, some robberies. Yeah, stop some robbers. Like I'm gonna, I'm going to meet. You're gonna call me, and I'm gonna meet you there, and I'm gonna take the pictures. It's I like they'd be cool if she got a full-on spider tracker. Sure, that would be cool. Yeah, especially um, because then that could come back to bite them in the butt later, where someone else figures it out and can now track Spider-Man. Yeah, like, that's something that all of a sudden Spider-Man keeps showing up place, and the person keeps getting away. How did they keep knowing that Spider-Man's on his way? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really good. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we've got movie one. So my question to you is, do you want to do some casting for this movie one and then move on to movie two or just go jump next into movie two? Yeah, let's do some casting. Sure. So we talked a little bit about Norman Osborn earlier mm-hmm. and who you didn't want, but who do you want? So um, I I know that you have a... Uh, uh, a trepidatious uh, relationship with casting persons of color as villains on this show. Um, I, I, I do and I don't. I right. think that it can be bad optics for obvious reasons. You make, oh, well, black people are the bad guys. Right. But with that in mind, let me give you my casting because that way you can then shoot it down. Oh, okay. <laughs> because Norman Osborn, I, is, I think he represents fear of the 1%. Mm. And so I think kind of the go-to one-for-one casting isn't uh, the guy that you recommended whose name I immediately blanked on. I think it's someone like John Hamm, the attractive Uh, businessman who we've seen go full-on crazy in Baby Driver. That's true. That's true. I think that's the obvious pick. And now I want you to tell me about the not obvious pick. I see. So so John Hamm is – John Hamm is good. I actually – I toyed with John Hamm. Um, in that role, but I don't, I just don't buy John Hamm as a scientist. And I think Norman Osborn has to be a scientist because he's, because if he's not, he's just, well, I, I just, I feel, I feel like he needs to be a scientist and I just don't buy John Hamm as a scientist. I don't know. Um, I think that's fair. I think that's a good reason not to go with John Hamm. Yeah. Uh, I, my, my, uh, number one choice is actually Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, who plays uh, Gus Fring on uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Um, are you familiar with him at all? I know you don't watch things. Sam. <laughs> uh, I'm looking him up now. Now that I'm looking him up, I recognize the actor. I think that's a cool pick. Uh, he's 60 years old right now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he, I think, I think, um, Norman Osborne should be a little older because there's something about an older Norman Osborne, uh, having, um, I don't know, like, have, like feeling so far removed from his son, his college aged son, that he doesn't really give him the time of day. I think that's a cool idea. I, I agree with that logic. Um, but I mean, I think I think he can play smart. I think he can play manipulative. I think he can play evil because he certainly has done that before. Mm-hmm. I just don't necessarily see him fight. I think that you might end up with with like a Wonder Woman situation where you have uh, a big villain at the end who no one really buys as this big action villain. Okay. Um, in that case, I do have an alternate. Uh, Great, I'm interested. And my alternate is James Nesbitt, uh, who he actually played one of the dwarves in the Hobbit movies. But the reason that I'm casting him as Norman Osborn is he was in uh, Stephen Moffat's Jekyll series, and Ooh. it is it was one of the best Jekyll Hyde performances I've ever seen. Um, it was it was just absolutely. Uh, just a just a complete about face on performance um and i and i like him for the role because he is not many people know who james nesbitt is and if you cast him as norman osborne i don't think anyone would know what to expect and they would get an incredible performance i think that's a brilliant idea i think we should absolutely go with james nesbitt okay all right cool so uh james nesbitt that might change who your casting is for Harry Osborne. I well, I had, I have, I have my James Nesbitt alternate Harry Osborne. Okay, <laughs> my my Jean that Colorado- said, we could we could also go uh, Fant Forstick and just do colorblind casting, and this is his son. Yeah, from, uh, his per- what? So tell me both, because okay. my Harry Osborne is Ty Sheridan and or Alden L. Uh, Elric because I they would be good oh. children of John Ham and because you kind of look at them and want to punch them in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but they have the same problem that like the James Franco problem that you're talking about. They're not nerds. Right, right. Um even though Ty Sher- Sheridan plays a nerd, I didn't like Ready Player One, that's a separate story. Keep going. Oh no, I hated that movie too. I'm on board with Ugh, you. Um, great. It's it's terrible. Uh it really but is. I I um I actually chose Justice Smith. Uh, who is from Paper Towns, and most recently he was in uh, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Um, that's I'm not familiar with the actor at all, but but those are he, both great shows or great yeah, things that he's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's sort of um, he's like a a, a nerdy, um, like just like a nerdy African American actor, uh, young, around the age of Tom Holland, uh, and so it would it would fit right in. Um, with the Giancarlo Esposito, Norman Osborn, um, if you're doing, or if you're doing the fully colorblind casting. Uh, my alternate is Cody Smith McPhee, uh, who, uh, plays Nightcrawler in, uh, the new X-Men movies. Um, oh, and he's also, when we were, isn't he the guy I cast when we were doing, uh, the Back to the Future remake? For, oh, for George? I think you're right. I'm pretty sure he have. is. Yeah, I think you might have. Um, but yeah, I, as my as my alternate Harry Osborn, because he is like kind of quintessentially what I picture when I think of 
uh, a Harry Osborne type, um, which is just like this little anemic nerd that no one would that you would believe that no one would want to be friends with except for the fact that he's rich. Right. Yeah. I could see that. I'm yeah. more pulled towards Justice Smith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because I think I think if you grow up rich, you should be able to turn the charisma on and off. But I can also see him being just a mega nerd. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I, maybe I think it'd be cool if he went back and forth from, from both. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it really just kind of... It kind of depends on how you play Norman Osborn, right? Because, like, in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man... You play Norman Osborn as a as a titan of science, and right. you play Harry Osborn as someone who doesn't under get or enjoy science at all. In fact, he kind of doesn't have a personality. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, like what does Harry Osborn like? I don't know. Maker's Mark, I guess. I don't, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, but but he that's the that's where the shame comes from. Is like oh, I'm never going to live up to my to my dad. The 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 crazy successful scientist um i'm not that smart whereas in the in the comics and in a lot of the cartoon series um nor norman is very uh successful and and charismatic and uh confident and Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't care for his son because his son is the opposite of that got it um, so it all depends on how you play the two characters, because I do think it has to be one or the other. It has to be that sort of seesaw of the two characters in order for their relationship to work properly. Well, I also think you bring up an interesting point about Harry Osborn. What does Harry Osborn like? And I think that that's the real question for Harry Osborn. I think that since he's growing up as the son of this rich and powerful man who has all these expectations of him that Harry is trying to fulfill, but doesn't isn't good at it, doesn't like it, but mm-hmm. that's the only thing he knows to do. Like he's never conceived of the fact that he can go pursue other things. And that's kind of why I think he resents Peter Parker. Cause Peter Parker has all these different things that he loves doing and is trying to do and, and, and pursues. But Harry is so restricted within this world of, I have to make daddy happy. Right. That he isn't able to do any of the things he likes because even he doesn't know what those are. It right. doesn't like no one knows what he likes because it's not something he's ever felt free to go after, and so finally, when when uh, Norman Osborn's taken out of the picture, Harry feels like, well, I I still have to do all these things because it's the only world I know. Yeah, no, I I uh, I, I like that take. Sure, cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, for now though, that leaves us with J. Jonah Jameson. Kurt Connors and Gwen Stacy. All right. Um, so Kurt Connors, I chose Patrick Wilson uh, because he is just sort of my go-to actor for like affable can, – can both be affable and threatening. You know, like if they remade The Shining today, he would make a really good uh, – <laughs> Jack Nicholson, you know, um, yeah. he, he just has that vibe about him where you would believe like, oh, this guy, he is ashamed and scared of what he's become. But mm-hmm. also when he's the lizard man in the third act uh, under either prosthetics or um, or uh, motion capture, he would be able to play that as well. I can see that. That's an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Who do you have? 
Uh, for Kirk Connors, I have an actor whose name I'm going to mispronounce named uh, Rahul Kohli. Okay. R-A-H-U-L-K-O-H-L-I. And he is a actor I know from the TV show iZombie. Oh, oh, he's... He's uh how how uh how old is he? He's he's younger than, he's a year younger than me. Um I don't know. I mean that's fine. It's just it'd be inter- it's it's interesting to see him as a uh such a young like it's interesting to see Kurt Connors as such a young character, I guess. Um, well, I kind of wanted I I went old with a lot of my casting on this mm-hmm. one I wanted to go young. And the reason why is because I think if it's freshman year of college, Peter's not really fitting in with college dorm life, and he gets this job and he's working with someone, I think, even with Harry Osborne, even with Gwen Stacy, I think he needs to see Kurt Connors as a friend, someone that he cares about. And that way, in our act three, when he finally turns on him, it's such a big thing. Mm. I think he needs to have this connection to this young professor because i think he needs to be an aspirational figure for peter he's this young guy who's making the world better and he's making he's doing science and i think that's what the sort of person that peter wants to be yeah no i think that makes sense yeah no i'm on board for that i like that i like that idea a lot cool then let's talk about let's do let's talk about gwen stacy because i'm pretty sure i'm right and then we can talk about j jonah jameson (laughs) okay what who's your gwen stacy Ellen Wong. Oh man, that's that's so funny. That is so funny <laughs> because because I my Gwen Stacy is Anna Sophia Robb, and they were both in the Carrie Diaries together. Were they really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's amazing. That's pretty awesome. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the problem with Ellen Wong. She is like ten years too old to play that. Is part. she? Yeah. Got yeah, it. She, that's a good. That's a good reason not to go with her. Yeah, that's the only reason to... because Ellen Wong is amazing. Right. <laughs> yeah, for people who don't know, Ellen Wong is uh, she's Jenny Chen and Glow, but most importantly, she's Knives Chow. Right. Um, they actually uh, she she's actually removed her date of birth from IMDb and Wikipedia because she doesn't because she can play so young and she doesn't right. want to lose those parts. But yeah, she is she is po- she is my age, possibly older. Um, it says on her Wikipedia, born in 1984 or 1985, because <laughs> yeah, she removed her age from everything because um, she doesn't want anyone to know. Uh, and you know that's what? amazing. Good on and her. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, do what you got to do to get work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so that, 10 years ago, she would have been an amazing Gwen Stacy. Oh, but, completely. But I'm perfectly happy to go with Anna Sophia Robb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I love Ellen Wong, and at some point, I'm going to get her recast in something. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I, I if I have my druthers, I will as well, because I just love her. And so for J. Jonah Jameson, I kind of did a one for one. I went with the person who I think would be the most – the, the way he's been portrayed is so iconic. Yeah. And I feel like you kind of need that. So I did go a little bit older on this one because he's a guy who is a newspaper magnate. He he tied himself to a dying industry, saved this one, and raised it up, and that takes time. So sure. John C. McGinley feels like the way to go. That makes sense to me, I think. 
Um, I, I think you would have a hard time getting Disney to agree to casting him because he's, uh, kind of a minor character actor, mostly known for television. Um, but I think that that's, I think that's solid casting. I mean, I, I think he would do a really, really solid job. Um, I went two completely different directions with mine. I couldn't decide which I liked more. Um, All right. For, for more of a low key, J. Jonah Jameson, like someone who can more of like um less of like the cartoony version of J. Jonah Jameson and more of like what this guy would actually be like in real life. I cast Holt uh Holt McCollany from um uh uh from uh what is it what is that movie what show called? Mind Mind uh Hunter? Mind, Mind Hunter? Hunter? Yeah, I think that's is that what it's called? Yeah, he's on, on Mindhunter. Yeah, yeah, Mindhunter. Um he is really great on that show and he has a uh he has a dis uh, he has a brashness to him, but it's it's more of like <laughs> it's it's not like a like a violently brash. It's sort of like this weird low-key brashness where you're like he says something that will shut you down completely, but it's like not, he's not screaming at you. Um, and there's something about that as like a new take on that character that I kind yeah. of, uh, I could get behind. Um, I could see I, that. I just, I really like him. Uh, for more of like a, a regular version of J. Jonah Jameson, I actually cast Eddie Murphy. Ooh, that's an interesting pull. Yeah. Um, it's been, Eddie Murphy has been sort of my dream casting for the next time they do J. Jonah Jameson, just because I, I love the, I just, I love the idea of him in a big role again and in a funny role, but in like a minor way where he doesn't have to like shoulder the burden of the whole thing that he's in, you know, he's not playing the lead. He's just coming in and doing an awesome, memorable performance as this character, this brash character. And then gets character. shut out for the Oscar. <laughs> right. And then gets shut out for the Oscar. Which and everyone thinks he should have won. No one's yeah. referencing Dreamgirls right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So I, that, that's my, that's my number one choice for sure. Is Done. Eddie right? Murphy. I love it. All right. Awesome. Well, that basically brings us to the end of the ones that I thought were easy. But let's move <laughs> on to movie two. Yeah. Um, are, are we on the same page with this? Movie two is Dr. Octopus? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Dr. Octopus always comes in at number two. <laughs> and it's the same sort of professor that we dealt with from the first one. It's professor, but this time you learn the opposite lesson. Peter got too close to the to the first professor and that... Uh, bit him in the butt this time he's not going to get close enough and because of that he's going to miss the signs Mm. and he's going to feel guilty yeah i mean i like that i i think um one of the things that we talk about a lot this season on uh on spider-man two minute is um otto in the movie is so sympathetic and it's a great take on the character but the thing that we agree we're missing is the egomaniac uh, Doctor Octopus, the, that Otto Octavius, the mm-hmm. the idea of just like, oh man, everyone thinks you're everyone thinks you're the best ever, and he's just sort of like, yeah, no, I know, I am the best. Like, I'm just the best. Uh, and and that sort of egomaniacal 
uh, Dr. Octopus is something that I, I would really like to see. Um, it's, it's what can lead us to uh, a superior Spider-Man down the road, perhaps, um, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, a really great storyline. Uh, and one that would be, I, I think Tom Holland would have a, a, a hell of a time playing, um, playing, uh, you know, Peter as Otto. I think that would be really fun. But, uh, I, I just think, I think having that, that egomaniac, um, Otto, that, that's really important to me. Uh, but I think that it would that I, I I don't think you could have I don't think you need to choose one or the other. Like I think that we can still do what you're saying because I do like that that sort of card flip, um, and I love that it's a in exact uh, reaction to the events of the first movie. Um, I really like that a lot, and so I think you can do it. But I also think that there's, it, I don't know. It's it's interesting because I think that. If Peter had reached out to him, he could have maybe like toned down on his ego and so that he didn't end up becoming what he becomes. Uh, Mm -hmm. But because he wasn't there, because he wasn't, um, you know, having a relationship with this guy, uh, you know, he goes down the road that he goes down. I don't know. No, I I think that's true. I think that you see someone who needs help and sometimes you rise to the challenge. Sometimes you don't. And I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, when I think of Otto Octavius, cause I said, I came up with fears for everyone for Otto, I have fear of AI specifically drones. Um, they're committed to the mission, committed to getting this thing done, regardless of the civilian body count. Oh, and that's how I see the arms. That's how I see, Otto, and I see Otto as someone who's kind of turning to this AI that he creates in the form of the arms as being his, the, the, the person, the thing that he's able to talk to, his contact. And so that's the way I see him. Like, like he, he needs this, this person. Like, it doesn't matter how old he is or how young he is. Like, Otto lost everyone else. He needs someone. He needs something. Mm-hmm. And he either connects to the arms or he connects to Peter, but Peter wasn't there. Hmm. That's interesting. I um see I wouldn't do I wouldn't do the arms having a, a AI thing. Um but that's just because that was a creation of Spider-Man 2 and then at that point I, you're you're just taking from that movie and not, you know, the decades of comics. Um the drone thing is interesting though because that's uh, basically what the arms are, are drones right. in a way. Uh I mean, controlled with his mind rather than a remote control, but yeah. So I mean, I don't want the I don't want the arms to talk back. I don't necessarily want the communication getting into his brain. I want it something more like Lars and the Real Girl, where he oh. talks to it. He's made them a real person in his mind, but they're not. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I uh, I I don't know. Um, I'm curious too about like what his want would be in this movie um you know where where he's coming from as far as uh uh like what what is what is his situation because i almost wonder if um if we're really deep diving on the on the sort of corporate espionage of it all this time around Mm -hmm. uh with with the chameleon in full swing and maybe 
Otto, I, I mean, because in the um, 90s cartoon, Otto Octavius uh, was German. And right. I wonder if you return to that, um, you could make him, uh, I mean, you could make him Hydra. You know, and like maybe he was when the whole Hydra thing went went down in Winter Soldier and we we dumped Hydra out of uh, out of uh, the government and everything. Um, maybe uh, he just sort of got abandoned and forgotten because he was undercover. Uh-huh. And so now he's there, but he like, I don't know, like maybe he wants to bring Hydra back. Maybe he misses the opportunities that he had with Hydra, um, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's certainly a thematic idea. They, they did that a little bit in this, uh, most recent season of agents of shield. Oh, well, agents of shield. (laughs) (laughs) I love agents of shield. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that it's there for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but what I was going to say is I, if I think, we have a theme that we could pursue in this, not trilogy, quad trilogy. Sure. Uh, I think that it's the belief that you can perfect the human body. Oh. Because the, the, the human body as it is, is flawed. Like it's not peak design. It's even one of the points that they make in age of Ultron. They're like, why did Ultron choose to make himself humanoid? The human body isn't really an efficient design. So Otto is all about making it a more efficient design and doing these extra arms allows the body to to redistribute weight so it alleviates back problems Mm. and other things and you're able to reach around do other things and i think that that's kind of the theme that you want to go for i think your overarching thesis for these movies could be how can we best make the human body what it is and i think your overall moral of the movies is can be there is no perfection. Everybody has their own skills. Everybody is good at their certain things. And everybody, to coin a phrase, is beautiful just how they are. Yeah. But but I think that that's certainly something that you can go into. Because that's certainly a very superhero theme of you're a superhero. You are the best the world has to offer. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that necessarily needs to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I, well, and I also, I also think, I, I do really like that because I think that, um, the idea of sort of improving on, on, uh, humans, I mean, again, that, that just, that goes right into, um, what we're talking about with the Green Goblin. I mean, I, yeah, I did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I feel like if we're doing biology in the first one, the second one is, uh, is like engineering. Cybernetics. It's, yeah, cybernetics, technology. Like this is, Otto is maybe who ends up building the glider, you know? Um, something yeah. like that. Uh, I, and, and I just think that that's, I think that's really smart and I think that's a really good way to build to the goblin. Um, and, but I think, I think the, I mean, the, 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 the thing that's, uh, the thing that's tough is, you know, with the, with the arms is like figuring out, like justifying them, you know, um, mm-hmm. that's the hardest part because I mean, 
in the comics, he like the arms were basically like you know like the the gloves in the that like you you put your hands into to like mess with radioactive stuff, um, right? And uh, that's basically what the arms were in the comics, and then. You got sort of that with the with the sun thing in the fusion experiment in Spider-Man 2. Uh, figuring out exactly how to justify those arms, I think, is going to be the hardest part of the character. Um, but I think... I can, give you, I can give you an option right now, and maybe that'll help you come up with a better option. Okay, sure. Uh, what if Otto spends so much time taking care of his mother... And the hardest thing in her life is mobility. And she's just constantly walking around with a little walker and it makes her so slow. And all she does is complain about how slow she's moving and just the worst, like, just the the time just breaking down the human body. Mm -hmm. And he thinks about, well, what if there was a part of the human body that didn't break down and it was the part that let you move, that what let you move around? Mm. Something not too familiar, like, I don't want to install wheels. That would be crazy. (laughs) <laughs> but the human body already has arms, so why not have more? Why not have arms mm. that that don't break down with time, that don't lose their strength? Arms that, like the four legs of a walker, can keep you going. So it's those arms that allow you to move wherever and wherever you want. So you're not dealing with uh, a handicapable world, because the whole world is already handicapable if you're able to move around with something like this. Yeah. Um <laughs> I just also it's the, silly. Uh, yeah, I love the idea of him <laughs> presenting that, and then and everybody just being like, "What are you nuts?" <laughs> um, I I was actually he's like, "I'll show them." I I I actually just thought of um like what if what if the arms were an old ex- an old thing uh, something that he hasn't touched in a while because it was actually related to Hydra. Um, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And, and he, he has the arms as this old option and he's doing something better, which is the glider. Right. Arms are version one, glider is version two. Right, right, right. And so uh, he ends up, he has the glider. And then maybe when the chameleon steals the glider, he puts on the arms to go after the chameleon. Thinking that the chameleon is, is the person who stole the glider and not the person actually responsible. Right. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Um, just the idea of like Otto's whole deal is like, I don't, I, I want credit. Like, I don't want someone else taking my stuff. Like, I want credit for what I, my work, you know? Yes. Um, and that was, that's when- the big thing with like all the work that he did for, uh, for Hydra, like, it just went out the window after the events of Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. You know? Because he just... Uh, Hydra's gone now. Like, now what? Well, that's the other thing. Like, all of a sudden, we had we were creating these enhancement, enhancements to the human body. Mm-hmm. But you stop caring about enhancements to the human body when you can have superheroes. People who don't need enhancements. Right. Well, what about the people who aren't superheroes? They still do. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's... I think there's a lot there to to pick on. Um, mm-hmm. with With Otto being a... A Hydra agent. It's certainly different, and I think that it would be a good reimagining for the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Um, now, do we want to make him the only villain in this movie? Because we're still dealing with the chameleon. So I feel like the chameleon is going to have to get found out yeah. and put down this movie. Yeah. And I feel like he ha- the chameleon has to get captured by Spider-Man 
and then killed by Otto. Well, I think that I I think that um, what you could do even to start it off, like maybe the chameleon pretends to be Spider-Man when he steals the glider. Ooh, yeah. And so Otto thinks that Spider-Man stole the glider. Um, and then so like you have Peter trying to figure out who this fake Spider-Man was that stole Otto's stuff, but then is also as Spider-Man having to deal with fighting Dr. Octopus for a glider that he doesn't have. Got it. Yeah, great. And that can be kind of like the back and forth. Yeah. And that, (laughs) the night that Peter didn't show up is the night that Spider-Man stole the glider. Right. Yeah, totally. Cool. All right. And then what's happening with uh, Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker? And is this the movie where we introduce Mary Jane? Um, I mean, assuming we, do... assuming we do Mary Jane and not right. I get because again, I think it's still Zendaya. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I just think that I think Michelle has been in it the whole time. I mean, same thing with Ned. You know, I feel like the yeah. crew by this movie. I feel like the crew is Gwen, Michelle, Ned, and Harry. Good. I like and, it. And I guess Flash. Because usually he's friends with Flash at this point. Eh. <laughs> I think it's more interesting if Flash comes back in an unexpected way instead of just having been there the whole time. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Like, Flash comes back in, like, movie three. Like, Flash? Like, yeah, no, I've had a whole life. You wouldn't believe these things. Anyway, I'm <laughs> this guy now. <laughs> That's uh, okay. Then I, I will save introducing Black Cat until movie three. Oh, interesting. Okay. So so who do you have cast as Otto? Otto Octavius was the single hardest person on this entire list for me to come up with someone for. Mm. And I went back and forth between a lot of different things. Like, do I want to go older? Do I want to go younger? Do I want him to be fun and then turn dark? And so the, my original thought had been Mandy Patinkin, but that mm. doesn't quite work. And then I thought, what about Donald Faison, who uh, was Turk in Scrubs, who doesn't it's not he was almost there and then i ended up coming up with uh the actor on accident because i wrote down the wrong movie so <laughs> i've mentioned this before on the podcast but i have a whole list of movies that i've never seen before that i really should have seen before mm. and my friend cam has movie nights of movies sam hasn't seen <laughs> and so instead of writing down the movie waitress i wrote down the movie waiting which is a terrible movie it's uh, the Ryan Reynolds movie uh, movie about working at a, the shenanigans oh, restaurant. Right, yeah. And we got 15 minutes into this movie and I bailed real hard. Uh-huh. Because it's awful and a garbage movie. Yep. Um, but they briefly introduced this actor who I remembered from Pushing Daisies. Because my pitch for Otto Octavius is Chai or Chi McBride. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I can kind of see him as being, especially the way he portrays his character in Pushing Daisies, as as this guy who's just close to the edge. Like, if he gets to push one way or he gets to push another way, he could become a really, really good guy or he could go full villain. Yeah. And that's kind of how I see Otto Octavius. He's walking this edge. Mm -hmm. And then just something tips him into full villainy. I, um... He also has the right body type. Yeah, which was I the mean, hardest part. I I see I see what you're going for. Um, I I don't buy him as a Hydra agent. 
no (laughs) (laughs) for for a really obvious reason but um i yeah i i definitely if that wasn't a factor uh, nazis would you don't think nazis would be okay with a black guy (laughs) i don't you know something tells me they'd have an issue with that um huh i yeah i know crazy uh it's like they're racist or something so weird um anyway uh so i i actually um for both of my options, I definitely went with uh, I definitely went with white guys, but older white guys um, as well. Uh, my my number one choice, and again, it's one that's being talked about a lot because he's actually expressed interest in the role. But as soon as he said it, I was like, "Oh my god, that would be incredible!" Um, <laughs> is is Mark Hamill? Uh, Mark Hamill as Otto Octavius, I think, would be awesome. So good. Um, and, uh, I, I think that he would be able to do the, uh, the accent. I think he would be able to nail the mega maniacal version of Otto that I want so bad. Um, I just think he would be, uh, he would be really, really good in that role. Like I'd buy him as a professor. I'd buy him as like kind of a jerk. Um, I'd buy him with, uh, with the German accent as a member of Hydra, um, I would buy all of that. I think he would be great in that role. Um, I do have an alternate in Michael Emerson from Lost, uh, who I think would be really good as well, but he would definitely be a much different kind of Otto. Uh, he would be a little more, um, uh, I don't know, calculated, I guess. I could definitely see Michael Emerson playing a Hydra agent. Yeah. But yeah. I don't necessarily – I see him someone as like the person manipulating in the background. I don't see him in any way ever putting himself in a situation where he would be on the front lines. Hmm. Interesting. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good manipulator person from comics, but I'm not – I mean I kind of see him as an alternate to uh, Red Skull's buddy in the in the first Captain America movie. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, so, who, for me, who I, that actor would have been a great – Otto Octavius, actually. Yeah, like, that was a huge problem coming up with this. Like, oh, this person would be great. They're already in the Marvel Universe. Shoot. But this person would be amazing. They're already... Why would they... Ugh! Okay. But (laughs) no, this person... How were they already in this small role? Yeah. Ah, It's been driving me nuts. Anyway, (laughs) I think Mark Hamill's interesting... I don't know. Like, part of me loves that idea, and part of me is really trepidatious about it, just because... As soon as he goes full Otto Octavius, he'll be doing the uh, he'll be doing the Joker voice. Uh, why? Because that's what he does for the trickster. Yeah, but I mean the trickster. Well, technically he did. Technically, as the Joker, he's doing the trickster voice. Technically, is he really? Because he was the trickster first. Yep, he was the trickster first. Because <coughs> the Flash TV show was in 1990, uh, so it was like a, a year or two before he played the Joker for the first time. Um, got it but Still, i i don't i don't think that is what he would i mean he's a very accomplished voice actor i mean he's done oh yeah absolutely all, all he's kinds amazing. of yeah he's done all kinds of voices i don't think he would necessarily do that and i think the accent would stop him i think that's potentially true yeah um i really i would really trust him as Otto octavius i think he would uh well, I love really Mark Hamill. Yeah. I think Mark Hamill's great at pretty much anything. So I have a hard time shutting down Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's who we got to go with. But I was so proud of myself for coming up with Chi McBride. Yeah, no, no, no. Chi McBride is, uh, she, he's great. He's really great. 
All right. Uh, and we, that's kind of our arc for the second movie. So, yeah. good. And that's really the only new character that gets introduced in the second movie. Probably. Yeah. I mean, for the chameleon, I, I cast uh, Toby K- Kebbell. Um, the reason being is like, I picture the chameleon as not having a voice of his own. Like when he's the chameleon, he doesn't talk. Uh, and so I wanted to cast somebody who had, uh, experience, who was a really good actor, but also had experience in motion capture because I figured the people, actors like that would be really good at like physical movements and like creating a character through movement rather than performance, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and Toby Kebbell played Koba in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, uh, which is, one of the greatest motion capture performances ever. Um, he's awesome. Have you seen any of those movies or? No. Oh my God. Sam. I've never seen a Planet of the Apes movie. Okay. You should watch that trilogy that just recently came out. You don't need to see any other ones. <laughs> I have uh, a screener for one of them. Oh my God. Sam, <laughs> watch things. My God. I have so many things. <laughs> I don't even know why uh, you like movies. You don't watch any of them. <laughs> I like TV. Oh, I see. Okay, fair enough. Um, but uh, Toby Gebel, but he yes. was also in um, – uh, did you watch Black Mirror? No. Okay, never mind. <laughs> well, no. He, well, here's my thing about Tony. Who was your pitch originally for uh, Harry Osborn, the other one? Uh, Cody Smith-McPhee? Yeah. I would lean more towards someone like Cody Smith McPhee to play the chameleon. I think he's too young. Um, and I, again, yeah. and again, Cody Smith McPhee, he's not, he, he wouldn't be able to embody a character physically the way that Toby McKebble would. And That's so true. You, you would get more of a generic performance, I think. So, the, but here's my question for you in terms of like just filming it. If he's embodying a character, is Tony Kebble playing that character? Or is that actor playing the character? I think it depends on I think it depends on the character um that he's doing. Like if he's Spider-Man, Toby Kebbell could play Spider-Man, sure. I think so, but if he's the chameleon, he's fully adopting and becoming this other person. He puts on their face. It's not like you're going to have Tony Toby Kebbell walking around and then you're superimposing this other face on top of it. You're just going to have the other actor playing the part. Uh, yeah, see I'm not I'm not uh I think for when you're when you're doing like an actual um human being that he's playing uh Mm -hmm. for sure but i think that there's i think there's room for other ways of using the character i mean you know he could at one point uh get out of a situation by pretending to be the lizard i mean that's the thing with his technology is like i want to show that he doesn't just become other people i mean the thing is i don't want to i don't want him to make i don't want to make him mystique like it's just that's not interesting to me. Like having a bunch of characters playing the chameleon is not interesting to so me. So you want it to be his body with other people's faces? Yeah, a little bit. I Because I almost want him to motion capture every time he does it so that he's actually playing. So you can tell like, oh, this is Spider-Man, but this is definitely the chameleon. Like you can tell from the body language and everything. So to pull from something else from uh, Spider-Man 2 Minute, like – well, I guess from Spider-Man Minute, mm-hmm. you – or both. You kind of want it to be – this person who looks real but has that kind of weird blue CGI glow behind them. So if you're looking for it, you can tell. But if you're not looking for it, you can't. You don't notice. Yeah, I I don't. What What do you mean by weird CGI 
Glo- you talked Glo- you talked about in the podcast how uh when it's Spider-Man going around jumping and flipping like he has this kind of blue glow to him. Oh yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so when when I watch these movies, I don't see that glow, but when you watch these movies, you do. But you mm-hmm. know to look for it and I don't. Mm-hmm. So it's something that like there is a tell, but you have to know about the tell in order to see it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 just the way he he acts as the character, you know, that's, that's what I, because at some point I'm going to have to bring up the fact that, uh, mask technology is something that exists in this world. It was in, uh, Captain America, civil war. Was it? Yeah. Cause, uh, Oh, Bear, Bear black Zemo, widow Zemo or, Oh, black. No widow black. Oh, I said the wrong one. Uh, ca- uh, Winter Soldier. Oh, okay. Winter Soldier when Black Widow pulls off the old lady's face. Oh, right. That's right. The like net thing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe he created that technology. I don't know. <laughs> I'm cool. That someone had to create it. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's something that exists in this world that it gets used in Agents of Shield, which is a good show. Everyone should watch it. <laughs> uh i I just think that i think that the chameleons is a little more advanced though that's what i would say but i mean i guess if he invented it you know he sold the the version 1.0 and kept the 2.0 or 3.0 to himself maybe who can say yeah i don't know i mean whoever we pick for our writers would say but right (laughs) yeah uh but yeah so i think this is the movie where both Otto and the chameleon get taken out mm-hmm. and we'll go with Tony Toby Kebbell. That's fine. I didn't put any thought into the chameleon cause literally it didn't occur to me. And I thought of a lot of people. <laughs> I think, I think uh, the chameleon gets taken out. I think Otto, you know, goes to the raft or whatever. Um, cause you yeah. know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm again, I'm generally, I'm against, uh, killing villains in superhero movies because uh, I agree, but that's why I think sp- the auto kills the chameleon, but Peter mm-hmm. does not kill Otto. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. On board. Cause yeah, that, cause that's what I think the difference between them is could be. Yeah, sure. So our first movie is a uh, Spider-Man party dorm or Spider-Man undeclared. What's our name for the second movie? Oh man. I don't know. Identity crisis. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man double major, double major. Sure. <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, Spider-Man, just major trouble. <laughs> sure, <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's let's talk about a number three. Sophomore slump. Um, yeah. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, mo- movie three. Um, I don't know because I again I pictured this as a three movie thing. You have four movie thing. Uh, so well, I think number three is a good bridge movie because I think that that's where like the big mission, the big reveal for the villain happens, but it also needs to be other things are happening in this world. Like it's not just stuff happening on this college campus. Like I think movie three is where you introduce your Craven the Hunter. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> it's something it, I think this is the movie where you have that big conversation of does Peter stay in college? I I will be I will be shocked if they aren't already doing Craven for the third movie in the high school trilogy. You think? Yeah, because I, I don't so know. Big. You, you, yeah, you do Vulture, you do Mysterio. 
who's left that you haven't done that's a big name it's craven so that's that would be my only thing about about this is like i feel like it's that's why i kind of stuck to characters that have already happened because um except for the chameleon just because i think i don't know there's a very low chance that they're going to do the chameleon you're probably right i i went through and i came up with more people like i've got I know you hate Venom and Carnage, but I came up with casting for Eddie Brock, for the voice of Venom. I came up with a couple pitches for Carnage. Uh, I came up with Black Cat. I have Kingpin on my list just because he's someone that exists in this universe, but he doesn't exist in this universe. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I would love to see... I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio has even said he wants to be in a Spider-Man movie as Kingpin really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I want that so much. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That would be great. Now, and to say nothing of uh, of of him and Norman Osborn butting heads. Absolutely. Yeah. No, completely. I would love that. But I think that this is the opportunity. So I think that like you have this crisis of confidence. Like, what am I doing doing school when I should be out doing things in other places because other people outside of this neighborhood need my help. And I think mm-hmm. that you need to have something that pulls him away for this movie before he gets brought back to deal with, well, as soon as I leave, that's when the Green Goblin shows up and starts killing people. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so that, that, that's why I was thinking Craven the Hunter, because even if they do do it for a, a movie three for the high school trilogy, that could certainly be something else. I mean, you could even do a Hobgoblin somewhere else, but I think that that's something that... If you you can't do Hobgoblin without Green Goblin. Well, can I can I can I pitch my Goblin story, and then we can kind of figure out where it goes. Go ahead and pitch me your Goblin story. Okay, so so my Goblin story. So the the problem with the Green Goblin is that um, at this point, because of that first movie, everyone knows who the Green Goblin is, right? And so. The typical Green Goblin story is like, who's this crazy guy? You know, like it's it's always like a mystery. Um, and so the way that I would want to subvert that, I think, is that uh, you have the Green Goblin going around um, or you I'm sorry, you have the Hobgoblin going around. Uh, you actually start with the Hobgoblin and you basically you you it turns out like you find out that the you think that it's Norman Osborn this whole time. Um, and then it ends up being Harry who is doing this to basically get the love of his father. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, he's like working with his father on this thing. He did all of these experiments and it's also because like Norman is not stupid enough to experiment on himself. So he's going to experiment on his son because he's that kind of garbage person. Um, I That just makes – it makes more sense to me if he is like the Goblin 1.0 is – and that's the other thing, right? Like we don't need it to be Hobgoblin. We don't need it to be Green Goblin. Just the Goblin, you know? Um, yeah. I, 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 uh, I, my question is if he's experimenting on Harry, does Harry know he's experimenting on it and Harry agrees to it? I think Harry agrees to being experimented on. I don't think Harry knows that he's the goblin. Okay. So you uh, think this is our Jekyll and Hyde? I think so. I think it's I think it's Harry uh you know doing whatever it is that the goblins are are going to be doing, but I think that once Peter finds out that it's figures out that it's Harry, um I think that 
he kind of starts connecting the dots and realizing that it's Norman. And I think that one of the things that Norman is working on while, uh, you know, while he's having Harry do whatever Harry's doing, which is great because we just killed off Chameleon the last one. So now he doesn't have his guy anymore. So now he's using Harry as his new guy, um, using this, this, uh, uh, proto goblin serum. And he's finding all of the the flaws in it, one of which is that Harry has no memory of being the goblin. Well, Norman doesn't like that because he wants people to have control over themselves. And, like, maybe that's part of the problem. Like, maybe Harry's goblin is more jokery than we've ever seen before. Like, he's just a complete raving lunatic when he's... Yeah, just full, full agent of chaos. Yeah, exactly. And so it's hard to control. And... That concerns Norman. And so when he becomes the goblin later on, when he takes the more perfected version of the serum, uh, his goblin is a little more controlled and calculated, still insane, but not he's more of a, you know, he's more of a Riddler than a Joker, if that makes sense. That analogy makes that makes sense. perfect sense. Yeah, um, that's sort of how I picture it, because, again, this whole arc to me um, in these college years, it really is building to Spider-Man's ultimate villain, which is the Green Goblin. Um, right. But it's, it's a, you know, we're, we're slowly building up to it. And so I don't think you go from Dr. Octopus straight to the Goblin. I think you need something in between, a proto-Goblin, and I think that's where Harry comes in. I can agree with that. I think that's, that's kind of what I was saying before. You need this third movie where something else is happening before you have your full villain in the fourth movie i think that's important now what is norman osborne's ultimate plan i don't know i i literally have question marks there um and the reason is just because like i i mean i work so hard on everything else that i got to this point i was like (laughs) i don't know man um but you know it's definitely something corporate i think it's definitely uh Maybe maybe we introduce uh, Mr. Negative and he his company who? is coming well, Hold in. on. Who? Mr. Negative. I um, don't know what that is. Mr. Negative is a character that was created during uh, Brand New Day. I think it's a Dan Slott creation. And he is uh, – he is – I forget his real name. But he's um, – he is uh, – he has like – <sighs> He's he's one of the villains in the new Spider-Man game. He, uh, for a long time, for like two years, he, they were claiming he was the only villain until that last trailer came out. And we realized that it's the Sinister Six because, of course, it is. Um, of course it is. Yeah, right. Uh, but but Mr. Negative is um, – he's – he – has like a, he's like a really he's like a rich guy um, and he is – when he's a human, he is like – the nicest guy like he runs like a homeless shelter and aunt may volunteers for him and it's this whole thing but then when he's mr negative he's like um this uh sort of i I don't know he's like almost a gang leader like he's he's running this like big time gang and i forget what his gang is called um he's only been in a few stories but the point is is like he could work as sort of um corporate competition you know uh or or something like that um for for norman something that because like the the problem is like what's norman scared of you know like in the in the original movie it's like oh the board members are voting him out so he's going to kill the board it's like all right i mean 
that works for that. But like, I don't think that would happen now because we want more of a Norman Osborn who is less desperate and more insanely successful. Um, right. And uh, we, we, Norman Osborn is our fear of the 1%. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so with that in mind, I mean, it just seems like he would want more power, but what that exactly is, I'm not sure. Maybe he's running for mayor. I was thinking about that, just going full Lex Luthor running for president kind of situation. And then if he loses, deciding that, no, no, I'm going to become the leader anyway. Sure. Or, or he is using Harry to manipulate the election. Um, True. That could work. Yeah. And, oh, tough, oh what, is, what is the, what is the person who has everything? What do they want? Yeah, well, I mean, more more power, as we can see in our country right now. Um, yep. I, I well, okay. So, what if movie three, where Harry is the proto goblin? What if he's using Harry to uh, basically screw up his um, the person that he's running against, like their their <laughs> their campaign? Like he's he's trying to uh, you know ruin them or or maybe ultimately kill them or whatever. And then he, the big dark moment of the end of the third movie is that Norman actually wins the mayoral race. Uh, and he is mayor. And then when he, he becomes the green goblin to take care of stuff that he can't do as mayor. Oh, because he, he needs to have this other face and he's lost all of his enforcers. Right. Do you have any idea how much power I'd have to give up if I were really president kind of thing? Right. Exactly. I think that's a cool idea, especially if Harry gets taken out and sent to the the raft mm-hmm. in the third one, that, that all of a sudden there are all these different things and all of these different crimes that Norman Osborn has to answer to. He has to take care of and all of a sudden that's... He, he needs to be able to do that. Right. And then what if... um. What if you do – oh, man, this is just a wacky idea I just thought of. Um, you, you have all of these villains that he's been fighting uh, in, this, in this run, you know, in the raft or whatever. And now all of a sudden they want a piece because he's mayor. Right. And maybe they're like, <laughs> they're like, okay, great. Now you can get us out of here. And he's like, <laughs> no. Um, you know, and, and maybe uh, what if – I'm the mayor, not the governor. Yeah, right. And so then what if – the 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 sinister six forms but it's like actually not against spider-man it's against the goblin and against norman i think that's interesting because here's my pitch for a third movie Mm -hmm. i think that uh if norman is using harry to damage his opponent dan it damage uh the person he's running against Mm mm-hmm I think it'd be fun if this other guy, Mr. Negative, had someone on his side. Like, you could have the the goblin, the hobgoblin, the green goblin, whatever, against a rhino. It's just like a pure tank defense guy. And they're fighting because they have their own agenda, and then Spider-Man's just kind of caught in the middle trying to prevent collateral damage. And that way, like, these villains kind of go against each other, and they kind of can see how they get abandoned in the face of this greater villain. Mm-hmm. And those two are kind of what brings the other four into the fold to create your Sinister Six. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I also like that because it it would lead very nicely, if you ever did a fifth movie after Go- The Goblin, it could lead very nicely to Superior Spider-Man because Otto now has learned that, like, 
oh, like I can't be a bad guy because this is what happens unless I'm Norman Osborn. Like I'm not going to get away with it. And he doesn't even get away with it, you know? Right. And and then he's like, oh, okay, so I want to be a good guy. But he wants to be a good guy for all the bad reasons, you know, of mm-hmm. just, you know, being better yeah, than everyone. You call it, you call it Spider-Man exchange student. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Um, that's, that's the best one. Uh, but, uh, anyway, yeah, no, I like, I like all of that. That's really good. Cool. Great. Yeah. So that's kind of our arc for our third and our fourth movie. Yeah. I think that. Oh, I will ha- say, I, I do want to say this one, one last thing, which is that, um, Gwen Stacy is, is going to be alive and well forever. Um, oh, I a hundred percent agree with that. Okay. <laughs> good. Yeah. You, you don't fridge Gwen Stacy. No. No, I don't care how iconic that storyline is. It's never going to happen. Don't do it. No. Uh, and I don't think you should fringe any of his characters. Like, I don't think, uh, who's the dude in the chair? Why am I blanking his name? It's not, ah, what's oh, his name? Oh, Ned. Yeah, Ned. Ned. I yeah. kept thinking Norm, 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 but Ned. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you should fridge Ned either. No. Because, like, it's, oh, well, if you can't fridge Gwen Stacy, we got to fridge someone. Ned. No, I don't think you fridge Ned either. I think you make Ned, uh... I think Ned at some point should get superpowers and he's like, nope, not for me. Pass. Yeah. Because there, there, there are plenty of other like superhero superpower things in this world that he can get. Yeah. And then just he's perfectly happy being the dude in the chair. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, absolutely. And I like I like the idea of of Peter's supporting cast being uh, uh, also like literally supportive of like spider-man in one way or another you know absolutely Um, yeah and i also think it'll be important at some point if spider-man the superhuman person is saved like by the normal person which is like what happens Mm -hmm. in homecoming right right and i think that's such an amazing moment like you did a thing that's great i want you guys to keep doing things yeah for sure for sure so that brings us to kind of filling out the world because there'll be a c storyline here a a D storyline there like up oh, he's been dating Gwen Stacy for a while who's this other lady uh I specifically cast for Black Cat I cast someone that should not be a romantic love interest for uh for Tom Holland and I cast her because I think it's the same sort of deal like the same sort of like nerd ideal of beauty like I think Tom Holland should be like oh I have a ridiculous crush on her and then she's just like no you're a child no Mm. The whole what what's the moment they have in the comics where uh Spider-Man takes off his mask, it's revealed that uh he's a kid and Black Cat says, What? I've been and then she like throws up in his lap or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh so my black cat, I have Ali Machalka. Uh I don't know her by name. Who what is she from? She's from a <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. I guess I needed some water. Uh, Ali Machaka is from a lot of things. I currently know her from iZombie, but she's in Easy A, she's in Hellcats, she's in Phil of the Future, oh, and really just her. those four. Okay, I see. Yeah. And I, because she is the sort of person who does the whole, yeah. she was in a, a show about being a cheerleader, so, and she's obviously very attractive, so I can kind of see her being the black cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who he idolizes, and then she's just like, no, I've got other shit to do. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think that makes sense. She's pretty good for that. I just realized I swore. I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. This is the... It, it, on the Patreon, it doesn't matter. 
Oh, great. <laughs> well, then, duties and wahoos all over the place. <laughs> Such language. I know. I stand by it. Uh, so I have casting for a few other people. Are there any castings that you had that we missed? No, actually. I went through all of mine. Okay. Then the one that I'm going to put in your brain that I mm. want to come back to later is Miles Morales. Because I want oh. you to start thinking about who Miles Morales should be. Because I yeah. think Miles Morales could be a cool addition to this world. I, I mean, I already know my answer, but go ahead. Uh, and then, so the other people that I have are Eddie Brock, uh, the voice of Venom. I mm. have someone to play Carnage. Uh, and then I have someone I cast for Craven. Okay. Um, so moving down my list for Eddie Brock, I wanted to do uh, Nicholas Holt, who is Beast in the X-Men movies. Oh, the really? The X-Men movies. Oh, man. People would not like that casting. That's for sure. <laughs> why, why do you say that? Because well, he's Beast? Yeah, well, no, no. Just because he's like a scrawny dude. Like, I mean, it would be, it would be the same reaction that they got from uh, uh, What's-His-Name in Spider-Man 3. Um, right. And look my reasoning for that is i think it's someone who has body issues and all of a sudden he has this thing that can make him look like whatever he wants i think venom should be super beefy Mm -hmm. but i think eddie brock should be super skinny because that's the whole theme of what i think we're dealing here like being happy with who you are as a person and not necessarily trying to become a superhero Mm -hmm. to duplicate things and i also think venom is Car- and carnage are dumb as characters but they're they're part of the world and they're part of audience expectations for this sort of thing uh-huh. and i think it would be kind of funny if they were like one-off villains introduced defeated and immediately gotten rid of sure to the point where like they put the symbiote in a tube and use it as a power source mm. okay so that's why i thought nicholas holt for uh for eddie brock and then because you do a different voice for venom uh, there's a voice actor named Yuri Lowenthal who's voiced a bunch of stuff. Like in, did you watch Young Justice? Yeah, he's Legon. Oh, okay. Isn't and he? He's, um, uh, he's Spider-Man, isn't he? In something? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I thought so. He's also Spider-Man. He's played the Lizard in Ben Tenney's Vilgax, so he can do he can do the Spider-Man voice, but then he can also do the yeah. voice of the whatever. Right, And so like, he can go back and forth because I think that's what Venom needs to do. He needs to go full Terminator with the voice modulation. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Carnage. I, like, it, when I started coming with Carnage, I was like, there's so many people in this universe that I could kind of go on forever. But for Carnage, I either wanted Walton Goggins or Uzo Aduba. Mm, I love Walton Goggins. Yeah. Yeah, he would be great. Just full-on crazy pants. Yeah, I mean, the only problem with Walton Goggins is he's an Ant-Man and the Wasp, so. Oh, who is he? Uh, I don't know. He's like a guy. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I... Ant-Man and the Wasp. Shoot. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. He was like, he's like, he's just joining the MCU in like a couple weeks. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. hopefully he gets defeated and then I can use him. <laughs> uh, and then the last person, and then we have Craven the Hunter and Miles Morales. For Craven the Hunter... Uh, the person I came up with, and I'm going to butcher this name, is uh, Manuel Garcia Rolfo. Oh, uh, okay, he's, yeah. He's in Magnificent Seven. He's going to be in this in the new Sicario movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know, just thought he'd be good. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But tell me who your ideal casting is for Miles Morales. I mean, I would, I would literally just, I would just cast uh, Shamik Moore, who's playing him in the in the 
uh, cartoon into the Spider-Verse. I'm looking him up. Isn't um, he a little old? Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's the problem, right? Is like, uh, are we gonna? Who are we gonna cast? Like, are we gonna cast like a? We're gonna try and find a twelve-year-old. Who do you? Who do you have? The guy that I have, actually, I guess he's only—he's now only two years younger than yours. So my pitch doesn't work. But he's a former Nickelodeon star named uh, Tyrell Jackson Williams. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, I, I have trouble. It? I have trouble searching for uh, Nickelodeon stars because I don't know. I don't know anything about their acting ability. That's true, and that that's definitely a problem. Uh, and ideally, I would hope that as they're adults, their acting ability would get better. Yeah, sure. I I always have problems searching for kids because I always feel really weird googling mm-hmm. a ch- hot new child stars. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh huh. And like, I don't I don't want that in my Google search history. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, but. Because he was on a show called Lab Rats where he, he was this kind of, like, action star, I I thought that he'd be a good casting. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure both are fine. Yeah. Because well, the whole idea I, is, like, he, he's got to have a protege. So, like, you could introduce right. when Peter's a senior and Miles Morales is a freshman. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, well, and I was – yeah, I, I, it, it'd be a really fun way of um, keeping the franchise in high school without keeping it in high school, you know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I do. I like that idea a lot. But yeah, so that's it for casting. We came up with four movies, so doing writer and director is going to be tough. But <laughs> let's talk about writer and director. Okay. Who do you? Who are you thinking? So for the writers, I came up with the writing team of Elizabeth Berger and Isaac uh, Aptiker. Okay. Because they did. This is us, grandfather without a boy, the neighbors. Because the way I wanted to do it is, I wanted to have writers who'd done personal deep stories, because I like character-based stories, mm-hmm. and then I wanted to have an action director. Okay, interesting. And so this writing team has done This Is Us. They did Grandfather. They did Without a Boy. They did The Neighbors. And that, and so they've done the comedy and they've done the drama, and that's the sort of thing that's needed for a soap opera movie world. Yeah, which is for what sure. Spider Man is, for sure. And so that that that's who I came up with for that. Who did you have for a writer? I mean, it's it's tough because I uh, I mean I'll be honest, like I just want to write it, but <laughs> well, sure. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. basically. Uh, you listened to the Superman episode. Uh, we both – I came up with a writer, but Chris was like, no, we just came up with the entire arc of these movies. We're the writers on this. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean I, that's kind of how I feel. I don't, I don't want anyone else to write this. Uh, yeah. I mean that's – you know, we're, we're screenwriters, right. Sam. <laughs> stop, Absolutely. Stop by- giving your work to other people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. Written by Scott Corelli and Sam Gash. <laughs> there we go. All right, time. fine, whatever. <laughs> uh, but who do, who do you think should be a good director? Who do you think would be a good director? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's the thing, right? It's like the, the kind of movie that I'm picturing, um, I, can't, I can't think of anyone. Because I, I would definitely want it to get – I would want it to step outside of the um, – the sort of like Marvel Marvel Studio standard directorial style, um, right? For these ones, like I, I want to, I'd want it to start sort of, um, I don't know, making a 
uh, name for itself, like making giving itself its own identity. Uh, whereas I think that the the point of this Homecoming trilogy is very specifically like being the most generic Marvel Studios movie as possible, like on purpose, like by design to be like, look how much we right. fit into this, you know. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I think I think generic is uh, misused sometimes with people as a negative, and it doesn't have to be a negative. Um, it's just a very average sort of looking Marvel movie. Um, and I would really, but you want someone who can kind of come forward and say, who's, who's been doing a lot of the generic things and you want someone who can now step forward and make a name for themselves. Yeah, I think so. Um, that, that's kind of who I picked for my director as well. Okay. So who did you pick? Keep going. Well, who did um, you pick? The director I, the, the director I picked is a TV director and she's worked on Legends of Tomorrow. She's worked on Arrow. She's worked on 12 Monkeys. She's done the 100. She's done iZombie. Uh, this director is named Merzi Almas. Hmm. And she's kind of worked within several different studio worlds. Mm-hmm. And I looked her up and she's kind of like, there's the big director who's done a bunch of things and she's often the number two. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to give her, because I, again, I wanted to do a female director. Yeah. And especially because a lot of the things in Spider-Man universe is it's written by nerds, it's written by dudes, and it's... Yeah has a tendency to be male gazy sure especially if you do like Gwen Stacy or Black Cat you gotta avoid that so I picked yeah. a female director um I picked a female director too uh I actually went with Rachel T- Rachel Talali um who Tell me about her. she is uh she was a uh a, 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 back in the 80s and 90s she directed um, you know, she directed like two Nightmare on Elm Street's movies. She did Tank Girl. She did that movie Crybaby. Like, um, or so you're picking movie her Crybaby. because you think she could be a new Sam Raimi? Well, here's the thing. So she did those <laughs> movies, right? And then she went into uh-huh. director jail. Uh, and wasn't after Tank Girl, she went into director jail and wasn't allowed to direct any movies. And so she transitioned to TV and has become one of the best TV directors out there. Um, she, well, hold on a second for people who don't know, can you explain to, uh, director jail? Oh yeah. So director jail is basically when you have a, when you make a movie that is such a massive flop, uh, that, and, and not only a flop, but like a critical flop and a, uh, financial flop, um, you will often go into something called director jail, which is basically just like, you know, when you're a director or a writer, uh, you are working on a, on a, on a on a job by job basis. And so mm-hmm. you finish one job and then you have to go and try and get another job. And director jail basically means your last movie was so bad uh, that no one wants to work with you anymore. Uh, and so you're put in director jail and it's not, it's not like a literal thing. It's just that no one is returning your calls. Your agent right. might drop you that sort of thing. It's uh, a metaphorical jail. Yeah. It's a metaphorical but- jail. But it's bas- basically it means like until you roll doubles and get real lucky, you're stuck there. Right. Exactly. Um, but Rachel Talali went on to do uh, great work on TV. And the thing that I know her the most from is uh, she she worked on um, Doctor Who and she did a bunch of uh, episodes of Doctor Who, some of the best ever in this uh, mm-hmm. recent Peter Capaldi. He, she was sort of the go to director in the Peter Capaldi era. Uh, she directed like a bunch of the really important episodes 
And she is just absolutely incredible. And since then, she's directed uh, episodes of Sherlock, Riverdale, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. She's directed three episodes of The Flash. Um, she is uh, really, really great. And I want nothing more in the world than for her to uh, direct movies again that people actually go see. <laughs> Wonderful. I like it. Yeah. I think that's a fun idea. So – Rachel Talele would be a would be a fun choice for director. All right. So let me do a rundown of our cast. Okay. Uh, everyone, keep in mind I'm not going to do a rundown of the plot because it's a lot of it. Just listen to the episode again, <laughs> but download it again so we both get the credit. Yeah. Uh, so for our kind of hangers on the people who we're not really going to use, but we kind of have in our back pocket, we have our Eddie Brock. Who could be Nicholas Holt? Could not be whoever. We have Venom, who would be voiced by Yuri Lowenthal. We have Carnage, who love it to be Walton Goggins, but we'll go with Uzo Aduba because we didn't talk about it that much. Um, Mary Jane and Kingpin both exist in this world already. Zendaya and Vincent D'Onofrio are both great, and we want to keep them around. I'm sorry, MJ exists in this world already. Mm. Um, Black Cat and Craven uh, would be Ali Machaca and Manuel Garcia Rolfo. But then getting into the actual meat of our story, we have Dr. Kirk Connors, who's Rahul Kohli. We have Gwen Stacy, who would be Anna Sophia Robb. We have J. Jonah Jameson, played by Eddie Murphy. We have Otto Octavius, which would be Mark Hamill. And then all leading up to our Osborne villains of Harry Osborne, Justice Smith, and Norman Osborne, James Nesbitt. Perfect. All of this being written by Scott Crowley and Sam Gash because we earned it, damn it. <laughs> and then uh, directed by Rachel Talele, who has rolled doubles past go and deserves her $200. I agree. And that is our se- Oh, and the chameleon would be played by uh, Toby Kettle. <laughs> Just bringing up the rear. Yeah. And yeah. then the rhino would be played by some... Uh, wrestler who decided they wanted to take a go at acting and everyone thinks that they did a fine job did great for for a wrestler but honestly we're good so john cena yeah john cena (laughs) (laughs) oh my god the memes of the rhino smashing into buildings and then playing the john cena theme i mean that would be worth it just by itself yeah just for that (laughs) yeah (laughs) i love it that's awesome (laughs) All right, and so that's our that's our uh, that's our franchise. Yeah, C- congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Well, so th- when can we when can we expect this? Twenty twenty one, twenty two. Oh no, because we got to get through homecoming. Twenty twenty five, twenty six. Yeah, something like that. All right, cool. <laughs> right around the corner. <laughs> right around the corner. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. Uh. Thanks, Sam. This was fun. You're very welcome. Hey. <laughs> thanks, Scott. Thanks for being a guest on my podcast. While I'm a guest on your podcast. Yeah. Simultaneous guesting. That's the way to do it. Hooray! Absolutely. <laughs> it's so efficient. <laughs> I'm nothing if not efficient. So let's have you go first. Why don't you tell people about all the things? Yeah. So uh, check out Spider-Man Minute if you haven't been listening to that. And you can find me uh, doing the podcast thing at DuelingGenre.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Corelli. 
And if you are a Weekend Bugle listener who is not familiar with the podcast I do, it's called Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade, and we talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. So if you've enjoyed listening to what we were talking about here today, check out the podcast Ideal Remake. You can find it on Twitter or on Facebook as well. Or if you want to find about find out more about me, Sam Gash, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H, where I have been retweeting a lot of political stuff recently. <laughs> but also comedy! <laughs> Hooray! Hooray! And occasionally adorable animals. Mm. <laughs> All right. I think we did it. Okay. Excellent work, Scott. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Go web go. <laughs> <laughs>